Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. It's Friday, in case you didn't know, and that means Options Action. Welcome. Here's what's on tap tonight. Maligned, marooned, meaningless. Just three M words the market thinks of when it thinks of 3M. But Carter Worth thinks very differently. Find out why this left-for-dead industrial could be on the verge of its own revolution. Then, keeping with the theme, Tony Zhang is also bringing good things to life. Find out why he's jumping into GE when others are ejecting. And finally, speaking of ejecting, Professor Mike Coe is constructing a tech sector parachute, just in case, because he sees more turbulence ahead. It's time to risk less and make more. Options Action starts right now. Let's get right to it. Name this stock. It's an old industrial that seemingly everyone loves to hate. It's got businesses and everything from your face mask to your adhesive back notepads, three times bigger than a single letter M. <laughs> That's right. It's 3M. And Carter thinks this Left for Dead name could come roaring back to life. So, Carter, what's on your post-it? Sure. Before we get to the charts, that's right. It's really the only true conglomerate left in the United States with healthcare lines, consumer lines, industrial adhesive, automotives, and it goes on and on, and really uh, the biggest in the world. And what we know is it's one of the worst performing Dow constituents, and of the 73 stocks in the S&P 500 industrial sector, 3M on a two-year basis is worst. And so uh, let's look at a couple of charts. The first is a comparative chart of the Spiders XLI versus 3M, and this chart ends at the pandemic low. Uh, both the sector and 3M, obviously knifing lower. But then if you see the second chart, uh, there's been a big rebound, of course, in equities in general, industrials uh, specifically. But 3M has lagged, and that is either the problem or the opportunity. It is, it is a low stock, uh, almost has uh, no buy ratings, if you will. But I think uh, the way it's acting of late is the beginning of an important bottom. So uh, three charts that we'll look at that. The first is... Uh, lines drawn here. Uh, this is a, what I would characterize as a bearish to bullish reversal. Um, the second, you can characterize it as a head and shoulders bottom. And the third is really to target the price objective. The stock gapped down uh, some two years ago dramatically from the 220 level to essentially where it is now. And any sort of quick uh, news related retracement will give you an outsized uh, gain. Uh, an opportunity, a laggard, a great old name, we're buyers. All right. Thanks for that, Carter. Mike, what's the trade-off of this? Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting stock, right? So we've seen upticks in volatility in a lot of quarters on a market that is obviously in a pretty extended bull market here. This is a low beta stock, about 0.85. You know, another thing I would point out, I think Carter's chart sort of indicated this. This is a stock that carried a much higher valuation. The enterprise value of this business was probably about $141 billion or so at the tail end of 2017. 2018, they made about $10.14 a share. And they're actually forecast to do about 10 and a half bucks a share in full year 2022 and well over 11 the year after that. So when you compare the fact that it's trading at a less than a market multiple, considerably less than market multiple, has low beta, has a great dividend, and still does have de decent EPS growth, I think this is a stock that you'd like to own. Of course, if you're looking at how it's behaved this year, it is up considerably off the bottom. So how to participate now 
committing only a small amount of capital and trying to catch incremental gains above that 190 level if the rally that we've seen this year should continue and some of the valuation thesis that we've just articulated actually plays out over time. I was taking a look at the July 190 210 call spread, buying that spread for just over $5. When I was looking at this earlier today, you could spend eight bucks and a quarter for the 190 calls, sell the 210s against it for about 280. Now, normally we're looking for about a three to one payout on these vertical call spreads. And of course it is $5 out of the money. There aren't as many strikes in this stock in the July expiration as you might otherwise see. But of course it's an almost $200 stock. So that's actually only 2.7% out of the money. Bearing in mind that when you deal with these vertical spreads, the out-of-the-money option as a percentage of its value will decay more quickly. That's one of the reasons we're also comfortable going a little bit further out than we normally would. But I think this is a way you can get long exposure to an attractive stock that has had already a decent bit of a run and committing very little capital to do so. Tony, what do you think? I think this is exactly right. Both Mike and Carter hit it on the nail. You know, this is one of the few businesses in the S&P 500 that I think we can actually call cheap trading at 18 times next year's earnings, as Mike said. You know, earnings look fairly strong here going out the next two years. They have seen no revenue decline here in 2020, and margins continue to actually improve here. So for those reasons, fundamentally, I like this company. And as Carter pointed out, you have a breakout level. Uh, since 2016, the $180 level has been a major resistance level for this particular stock. So you have a breakout here. That's the technical catalyst for getting into this trade right now. And then if you look at the trade structure, that debit spread that Mike is using is, in my opinion, the best way to play this potential breakout here. You're risking, as Mike said, only 2.7% of the underlying stock's value. And you're looking at about a 3 to 1%, a 3 to 1 payout here if it does rally up to that 210 level. And he's going all the way out to July, buying, him quite a, buying himself quite a bit of time for this stock to rally up to that level. Yeah, Mike, I'm just curious, from the fundamental perspective, what do you like better about the stock, the notion that there's a rebound that's that's in store in terms of the technical picture or um, the, this whole notion of the reopening of the economy and everything's going to turn hot um, with industrials benefiting? I think it's the industrials benefiting and I think it's also mm -hmm. the fact that it's trading at a relative discount to the market when you still are seeing some EPS growth and you still are seeing some dividend yield. I mean, I, I think that's really a hard thing to identify in this market right now. We have a lot of uh, spaces that have done exceptionally well so far and it's very difficult to chase some of those stocks on the heels of that so we have to try to look for some value I think this is a value play on the reopening trade all right let's stick with this theme here another industrial that's had more haters than lovers than haters than certain reality TV stars but Tony thinks this name is one to jump into when everyone else is ejecting Tony take it away yeah, exactly. I want to take a look at GE because this is a bit of a counterintuitive trade where the news drove this stock down about 15% here this week. And I think that's actually an opportunity for investors who may have missed out on the recent breakout here to get some long exposure, especially as GE looks a little bit more focused as a result of this deal, uh, being able to focus more on their aviation business, their power business, and their industrials business. And the stock has really outperformed the sector here over the past five months, and it's been hard to chase this particular stock. So if we look at the long-term chart here, GE has been really bottoming here since 2018. And that $12 level has been the level that has, barely, that has been able to, has, has struggled to get back above that. But it did break out here about a month ago above that level, but it quickly rose beyond that level very quickly. So if we zoom in here onto the daily chart, what you see is that the breakout here above, above that $12 quickly ran up to 15 
But on the news this week, we managed to get all the way back to that $12 level. And as Carter would say, we tested that level to the penny. It held that level. And I think the risk to reward here looks far more attractive on the long side. So the trade structure I want to use is taking advantage of a support level that we've identified that we believe is going to hold that $12 level. So I'm going out to April 23rd of the weekly options and I'm selling the 12 and a half 11 and a half put vertical here, collecting about 78 cents for that 11 and a half put, paying about 38 cents for that, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 78 cents for the 12 and a half dollar put, and paying about 38 cents for the 11 and a half put. Net net here, I'm collecting 40 cents for a $1 wide credit spread. That's about 40% of the width. So I'm collecting 40%, so I'm only risking 60% of the width. And this type of trade structure allows me to also potentially own GE stock at about $12.10 if the stock is below $12.50 at expiration, which is a much better price to own this price at than rather chasing the stock here over the past few months. Carter, what do you make of Tony's technical take? He quoted you. Well, just exactly as, as <laughs> characterized, meaning to a pivot point, right? A stock that breaks out and then falls back to the level from which it broke out, essentially, is a level of support. And so a 17% decline uh, in the past three sessions from the peak high uh, to the news low. And this is an opportunity. In fact, GE was up today. So weakness to take advantage of versus weakness to stay away from. All right, so it's got the CBW stamp of approval. Mike, what do you say? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll let those guys opine on the technicals. I'll just speak to the options trade itself. I mean, one of the things that's nice about picking uh, a credit put spread is that three things can really happen here. I mean, the stock can decline, it can go sideways, or it can rise. You're going to make money in two of those cases. And in the downside case, you're going to be risking 60 cents on a profit of a potentially 40 cents, but you're trying to do that on a stock where you like the level that you're, you have. So I think this is a, a good way to play it. I mean, this is one of those situations where we're trying to find places where we can sell options premiums at the elevated levels where we're still seeing them. And GE is one of those cases. I think the implied volatility for GE right now is about 50% or maybe even a little bit higher. So that's pretty high. That means that you are collecting uh, 40 cents, which doesn't sound like much, but this is a $12.50 stock. So over the course of just a relatively small amount of time, the yield uh, on a standstill basis is still quite good. So I like the trade structure, and if these guys say the technicals are good, then I say go for it. <laughs> Tony, I'm going to ask a similar question um, of you that I asked Mike, and that is how much of this is a play on, on a cyclical recovery, and how much of this is a play on, on the turnaround that is in, in place at GE that's going, ongoing, basically? For me, it's the cyclical play. It's really looking at the aviation business, the power business, especially as they continue to grow their renewable energy business. That's really what I'm focused on. And when they're able to sell off uh, the, the, the aircraft leasing business that allows them to focus on that, that's a turnaround story. And it's finally starting to pay off here. All right. For everything Options Action, check out the website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter. Here's what's coming up next. Among Professor Coe's notable quotables, you don't buy insurance when your house is already burning down. Find out how he's putting a policy in play right now. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. I'm just for 
Welcome back to Options Action. The tech sector getting hit again today and rising yields. Professor Mike Coe says now is the time to formulate a plan to deal with what could turn into a recurring theme. Mike. Yeah, we've mentioned it several times. We've seen this big uptick in volatility, especially in the highest flying names. So I'm taking a look at the NASDAQ index, which is best represented for most of the viewers by the QQQ ETF. And of course, this contains all of the biggest technology stocks essentially as its biggest constituents. Now, when you're thinking about hedging your portfolio, and if you hold QQQ, or if you have a portfolio that looks a lot like QQQ, and many of you do, you have a portfolio that's essentially right where you began at the beginning of the year. QQQ right now, I think, is up about 55 basis points year to date, and you're looking at the uptick in volatility, wondering whether you should remain invested. Now, we have a lot of reasons why you might want to remain invested, but then, of course, we have all of these symptoms of increased volatility, which may want you not to be. So what do you do? What we're taking a look at here is hedging. And the important thing about hedging is that you should hedge when you can, not when you absolutely have to. The other thing is that when you're talking about hedging, this is more about positioning than simply timing. If you knew when the market was going to rise or fall, it wouldn't be necessary to hedge. You would simply sell on highs and buy on lows, and everything would be easy, and you'd be living on the beach. But, of course, it isn't as simple as that. So if you have a portfolio and you want to construct a hedge to protect yourself, then you also need to consider the cost as well. Because if all you did was run out and buy puts all of the time, the cost of that would add up considerably. I was looking at the May 300, 270, 340, put spread uh, collar. And basically what you're doing here is you're buying a put spread and helping to finance a purchase of that put spread by selling an upside call. And I chose some fairly specific levels here. Buying the May 300 put, that was about $11.10. And you can consider that if you simply went out and bought that put only to protect your portfolio, that's going to cost you well over 3% of the portfolio just between now and May. And you can see how that kind of insurance cost would add up over time. Then selling the 270 puts against it for $4.55 and selling the 340 calls for $4.05. Net-net, you'd be spending about $2.50 to put this trade on to hedge your portfolio. First of all, that's less than 1% of the value of QQQ right here. The other thing is, I'm basically trying to capture a put spread that is about 10%. So when we think about a market correction, we're usually thinking about 10%, bear market maybe 20%, but we're trying to get protection against that kind of a drawback. And the other thing is selling that 340 strike call, the high in the QQQ so far this year was 338. Presumably, if we do recover up to or about that level, we're probably going to run into a bit of resistance because, as Carter often says, people who bought at that level, having lost money and now gotten it back, are probably going to be looking for the exit sign. So this is a way that you can spend less than 1% of the value of QQQ, get some insurance against some of the volatility that we're currently seeing, down to about that 270 level. So giving yourself about 10% downside protection while still preserving basically the opportunity to recoup losses if you were one of the unfortunate buyers who paid the year's highs. These guys are really quoting you tonight, Carter. You got some charts. <laughs> Walk oh us goodness. through. That's quite, I'll go off in a dream for the rest of the weekend. So uh, just before we look at the single chart, it's important to say that, of course, the QQQ, 100 stocks meant to mirror the NASDAQ 100, the top seven stocks are 50% of the way, and they're the big names you know, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Facebook, and so forth. So uh, NVIDIA, excuse me. So here's the real issue. Decisions or judgments about the QQQ are essentially decisions or judgments about the market. Take a look at this table. 
So in the history of the index, going back to 1985, in any given session, when the NDX is down, QQQ, the S&P is down 81% of the time. And in turn, when the S&P 500 tech sector is down, in any given trading session, that's 9,000 of them, going all the way back to 1985, the S&P is down 80%. So a judgment about the market is a judgment about the NDX and vice versa. So here is a chart of uh, the NDX, and what we know is that we have a break in trend. So uh, well-defined trend off the March low, a 45 degree angle, and a definitive break, and now we're trying to get back above it. There are stocks that are better than others. Uh, Microsoft is a favorite, for instance, but hedging in this kind of instance is the right play. So I'll go back to Mike before we get to Tony. I mean, given the stats that Carter laid out in terms of the correlations um, for the past, I don't know how many decades at this point, is it cheaper to, to protect using the S&P as a hedge, given the volatility in the NASDAQ 100? Mike, sorry. So that's a great question. Yeah, so that's, that's a great question. And of course, it's going to depend on the structure you use. If all you were going to do was just go out and buy, say, an at-the-money put that expires in 30 days, 45 days, 60 days, three months, the answer is yes, it would be cheaper. It would be cheaper to buy that put on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It would be cheaper to buy that put on the S&P 500. But of course, we don't limit ourselves to simply buying the at-the-money put. We can buy that more expensive option, and we can help to finance it by more expensive options on the wings, which is what we're doing here. So really it is about how you structure your position and its cost and the benefits. And here's the thing. These are the broadly held stocks, right? So most of the people who are watching, most of the people who are looking at their accounts, almost everybody I talk to who has chosen stocks for themselves, other than, say, you know, there are other big broad market portfolios, these are the stocks that they hold. And so if you're trying to hedge against these stocks, then this is probably the best proxy you're going to find. Okay, still to come. What to do when your bank check bounces? We will explain that next. Welcome back. We've got some changes to tell you about uh, concerning the S&P 500. NXP Semi, Penn National Gaming, Genrac, and Caesars will be entering the index. On the way out, FlowServe, SL Green Realty, Xerox Holdings, and Bontier. The changes will be effective prior to the open of trading Monday, March 22nd. I mean, you take a look at what's being added. Penn and Caesars, two gambling names. I think that is sort of interesting. Uh, Tony, what do you make of this? Yeah, exactly. Penn and Caesars, both gaming stocks. And uh, Penn made a new 52-week high here today. I'm guessing that that's going to propel this stock even higher, especially as it goes head-to-head -head against DraftKings and NXPI. Uh, nice semiconductor stock for those of you that are interested in electric vehicles and semis for autos. A very strong name in that, se in that sector. Yep, and that one's up 5% after hours on this news. Uh, time to take a look back at one of our open trades a couple weeks back. Cohen Carter said regional banks might be headed for a bumpy ride. And you can see the channel that KRE has been in. It's very well defined. And after uh, basically breaking out of the above of the upper band, which is an, a move of excess, you're likely to check back to the middle or lower uh, range of the band. So that's considerably lower from here. We're a seller of KRE. The trade that I was looking at on KRE is more of a pause trade than it is an outright bearish trade. I was looking out to April selling the 65 70 call spread. You could collect about $1.90 for that, very close to the 40% or so that we like to get for an upside credit spread if we're selling. 
The KRE actually hit a new all-time high today, but there is still time to adjust the trade. So, Mike, what do you do? Yeah, so there's uh, something to think about here. First of all, when you sell a credit spread and you've pretty much given back all of the credit that you've received and that amount again, which is where we are now, this is worth about $3.5, maybe a little bit more when I looked at the close. Time isn't as much on your side. So the risk-reward relationship from here is more favorable, but you are now paying to be in this trade rather than collecting to be on this trade. So I think we're going to have to turn it over to Carter for his technical view on KRE. All right, so Carter, quick on this. Sure, it's extended and now it's more extended. And uh, in principle, the rate move is helping it, but uh, real rates are still negative and way below where they were the last time the KRE and regional banks were at all time highs. All right. Up next, we have your tweets and the final call. Welcome back to Options Action. We have time for a tweet. So one viewer asks, do you recommend setting stop loss orders on options? And if so, do you have a rule of thumb for setting that level? Tony, why don't you take it? Yeah, absolutely. A general rule of thumb that I usually use with either a long call or a put or a debit spread is to set a stop loss at about 50% of the premium that you pay. All right. It is time now for the final call. Carter Braxton Worth. 3M close at 185. We're looking for 210 or 12% higher. Buy it. Tony Zhang. Bounce on GE. Sell a put credit spread. Myco. Put spread collars make cost effective hedges. That does it for us here on Options Action. We'll see you back here next Friday at 5 30. Meantime, the last edition of On the Edge starts right now.